Well, as Rich mentioned, we're looking forward to Easter weekend. We're going to have our Good Friday service at 7 and 9, and then have our regular Easter services. And we would really encourage you to invite a friend out. Invite a friend out. Many times people only attend church on Christmas and Easter, and some of them don't have a relationship with Christ. We want the opportunity to tell them about the power of Christ that can make such a difference in their lives. And if you take this insert out, that's on the back of the uh, Springbrook Day of Prayer. It's called, called Looking for a Few Good Stories. We're hoping that on Easter weekend, uh, we're going to have a service that will be filled uh, with several testimonies of people whose lives have been changed by Christ. Now, we're also looking for stories that people can tell throughout the year here at Springbrook, whether it be in our services or in printed materials or in some other type of communication. Uh, So we're looking for your stories. So I would encourage you to fill this out and uh, circle, if it's a conversion story, uh, that you'd be interested in sharing in some way. And again, if you don't feel like saying it on video or getting up in front of people, maybe just have it in an email or something like that. Or maybe it's a life issue where Christ has helped you uh, work through a a life issue uh, that you've been struggling with. And please let us know, because many times we're doing message preparation and service preparation. We're thinking, we wish we had a story involving this particular issue. So what will happen is is somebody will call you, and they'll just, you know, talk to you a little bit about uh, what your story is. And uh, the first need that we have are conversion stories for Easter. So what we'd like to do is have some people get up here and spend three minutes telling uh, how they came to Christ, Uh, maybe put some people on video. We're not sure, but... uh, uh, we need these today because Easter's coming up. Uh, so please fill that out and tell us about how God has made changes in your life. Story, and it really is all about really all about the power of story. Uh, stories are so important in impacting uh, people's lives uh, about how Jesus Christ has changed them. And that's what the Bible's about. We're studying the story. Of Joseph, and there's a lot of power in that story. And there's a lot of power, obviously, in the story of God and His love for us. And I'd like just to take a moment, and we haven't had a chance to do this, but to look at Joseph's life in regards to how it's part of the bigger story that Christ is telling us. As you look through all the Old Testament, and of course, especially uh, the New Testament. It's all pointing to God. And it's all pointing to the gospel, the good news, the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for us. As you study throughout the Old Testament, and if you study it carefully, uh, you'll see clues along the way. Uh, You'll see a theme that goes throughout the entire Bible that speaks about the gospel, that speaks of God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ on our behalf. And you look at different people's lives in the Old Testament, and you can see how they, in a sense, foreshadow what Jesus Christ was going to do. So let's take the example of Joseph here. Now, Joseph is called a type of Christ, a type of Christ. What do we mean by type? Well, we mean kind of like an illustration of Jesus Christ's life. Now, there are parallels between Joseph's life and Jesus Christ's life, and we believe they were intentionally put in there uh, because God wanted to send a message about Jesus Christ who was coming. Let's think of some of the similarities. Certainly, Joseph was loved 
by his father, right? Remember the coat of many colors, and of course, many times we see Jesus Christ uh, being loved by God the Father, uh, especially at his baptism. Then we think about the fact that Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Remember that? Uh, they couldn't stand Joseph uh, because of his dreams and uh, a bit of his arrogance and things of that nature, but they, they rejected him. And that's the same thing that happened with Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the 12 brothers, including Joseph, became the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph, Benjamin, Judah, and the list goes on. From the brothers of, uh, from the sons of Jacob and uh, Joseph and his brothers, uh, their descendants became the 12 tribes of Israel. So the brothers rejected Joseph. And then, of course, Jesus Christ was rejected by Israel. He came as their Savior. And he was rejected just as Joseph was rejected. So you see the foreshadowing. You see the parallels in their lives. Obviously, Joseph suffered a lot in his life. He was sold into slavery. He was a slave. We'll talk today about how he was in prison. And, of course, Jesus Christ, the ultimate suffering was seen in his life as we celebrated the day the fact that he gave his life for us unjustly accused joseph was accused of rape by potiphar's wife he didn't do it but he suffered for it in the same way jesus christ was constantly being unjustly accused by the pharisees and religious leaders so it's important that in your bible study you continue to look especially when you're studying old testament books uh, for where that what they call the scarlet thread is the thread of the gospel, the thread of God's redemptive plan for us and how much he loves us. And we'll see more parallels as we continue to study the life of Joseph. Let's do that now. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 39. We're talking about finding hope in hopeless situations. And certainly, Joseph was a specialist at that. Joseph had been thrown into prison by Potiphar, we read in verse 20, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So here we see another unbelievable story about Joseph. Now notice how closely it parallels his experience in Potiphar's house. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. There we see the Lord's hand, right? We need to talk about the hope that we have in God, the hope in his presence, the hope in his power, and the hope in his plans for us. The Lord was with him. That's the hope in God's presence. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Just sounds like Potiphar, right? God delivered power into Joseph's life. He said, Joseph, I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to give you supernatural abilities in order that they might recognize you and use you in a special way. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. Now that's crazy, isn't it, right? A prisoner running the joint? <laughs> Where have you seen that? <laughs> well, again, it, it parallels uh, when Potiphar put, put Joseph in charge of his whole household. 
right? And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Remember Potiphar? All he cared about is what he ate and drank because Joseph took care of everything else because the Lord was with Joseph. There we go again. You want the Lord with you. You want his hand upon you. You want to be walking with him because he's going to take care of you. And gave him success in whatever he did. The success did not come from Joseph. It came from God working through Joseph's life. And again, we're going to be talking about prisons today. Life situations we'd rather not uh, be a part of. Uh, prisons that come into our lives. Challenges that come into our lives. And it's so interesting how Joseph responds to prisons. He's in a prison, and instead of becoming bitter, throwing pity parties, becoming pessimistic about life, panicking, what does he do? He doesn't focus on his circumstances, but he focus on, focuses on God in the midst of his circumstances. That's a key thing we want to communicate through the series. Don't focus on your circumstances. That brings despair, anxiety, and anger. But focus on God in the midst of your circumstances. See, you got your circumstances, but focus on God. That's where the hope is going to come from. And so therefore, Joseph, in the midst of a challenge, is able to embrace being in prison and doing the best job possible through God. He excels in prison. He excels in being a slave because he's not focused on his circumstances, but he's focused on God. So therefore, he's going to give himself fully over to whatever situation he's in. Well, after some time goes by, we look in the next passage. Uh, we see some time later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. So what's going on here? Well, we have the cupbearer and the baker. Who were they? Well, the cupbearer was the person who tasted the wine and tasted the food of the king of that day. All kings had cupbearers because there were many people who wanted to overthrow kings in those days. And so they would try to assassinate the king by poisoning his food. So you had to have a cupbearer who would taste everything before you tasted it. So the cupbearer would die instead of you dying. Very wise plan, wouldn't you think? Kind of a risky job, though, being a cupbearer. <laughs> it's interesting that with a king and a cupbearer, there was a very intimate relationship that developed because they would share meals together. And, and really, he had the ear of the king. He had a, bit, a lot of influence, just as Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah? He was a cupbearer to Artaxerxes, and he had a close relationship with Artaxerxes, which eventually led to God using Artaxerxes to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So the cupbearer, that was his role. Then you had the baker, and he was the man who was the chef. He prepared all of the food, and he played another significant role because if somebody was able to influence him, he could poison the king's food. So a very, very trusted role along with the cupbearer. And for some reason, Pharaoh got really angry with these guys. And maybe it was just a really bad meal. <laughs> they had an awful meal. I'm not sure. Or maybe uh, he had really gotten sick 
And he said, well, maybe these guys are after me. We have no idea. But whatever happened, Pharaoh wasn't very happy. So here they end up in prison. And in verse 3 it says, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Now, who is the captain of the guard? Tell me. Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the guard. All right? So this is very interesting because I, I believe that Potiphar lived on a government estate. He had his house, which Joseph was a slave in, but I also believe there was a prison on the estate. It was Potiphar's prison. He was captain of the guard, and political prisoners were kept there. Now, it was a dungeon. It wasn't like one of these, you know, <laughs> uh, prisons that uh, white-collar criminals go to. Uh, it wasn't a pretty place, but at the same time, it wasn't like other prisons where a common criminal uh, was kept. So it was a political prison. So I really believe there was a prison that Potiphar oversaw. There was a person also who is referred to here who oversaw the prison, uh, but I believe it was on the same grounds. This was a political prison. So you had the cupbearer and the baker who are in outs with the king, so he sends them to the political prison, which is on Potiphar's grounds. That's my theory. Uh, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, that's Potiphar, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. And that again points to the fact that Potiphar, I really don't believe, uh, trusted his wife. When his wife said, oh, Joseph tried to rape me. Oh, yeah, right, whatever. You had so many affairs and you wanted him. And he couldn't obviously keep Joseph. He couldn't call his wife a liar publicly. So he put him in the safest place possible, the minimal thing that he could do was put him in political prison instead of killing him, which he could have easily done with a slave, or send him to the common prison. So all that to say, he knew that his wife was lying, therefore he put him in the political prison, which wasn't a great place, but it's better than death or the common uh, prison. The captain of the guard, and who's the captain of the guard? Potiphar, that's right. Potiphar assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. So Potiphar still had a tremendous love and trust in Joseph. And so he says, okay, I'm going to have Joseph serve these men because I know that they will be taken care of. So they're taken care of in that particular way. Now, uh, verse uh, 4, it says, After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, dreams were very, very important back in those days. You had scholars who studied dreams. They gave their whole life to dreams. You had people who were professional dream interpreters, much more than psychics that we see today. I mean, these people really studied dreams. They had a dream book, a dream book, where basically it would have common things that people would have in their dreams and there would be common understandings of what that meant. They had studied these dreams so much. So they took dreams very seriously. So basically the cupbearer and the baker of the king had a dream on the same night. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to go into it this morning, but I would encourage you to go home this afternoon and read Genesis 40. It's very fascinating. So... The cupbearer has a dream, and Joseph interprets that dream, and he says, you're going to be restored to your position as cupbearer in three days. 
And the baker has a dream, and he says, well, that sounds good. I'll share my dream with him. Well, <laughs> that's good of interpretation. Uh, you're going to die and be eaten by the birds in three days. Okay. Some questions, some questions you wish you never asked, right? That was certainly the case of the baker. So what happens is we look at our next uh, passage. But when all go, oh, excuse me. Yeah, that's right. We'll go to, this is the right passage. Uh, so what happens here is that Joseph is talking to the cupbearer who's going to live. The cupbearer who's going to have the ear of Pharaoh. So he says, but when all things go, uh, when all goes well uh, with you, that means you get back in your position as cupbearer and uh, your life is restored. Remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh. And get me out of this prison. <laughs> For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So here we see the humanity of Joseph. And again, we've got to get away from what I think many people sense when they read the story of Joseph. Joseph gets sold into slavery. And he's such a godly man. He says... I'm just happy to be a slave. I'm happy to be alive. I don't care how long I'm a slave. And then he's thrown into prison. I'm just happy to be in prison. I'm just happy to be alive. I just want to do God's will. Well, yeah, he wants to do God's will, but he doesn't want to be in a prison. He doesn't want to be a slave. He says, get me out of here. You've got to tell Pharaoh, number one, that I was sold into slavery. Then on top of that, I was unjustly accused, and I want out of here. Joseph was just as real, or you and I, if we were sitting in a dungeon. We don't want to be sitting in a dungeon. We want to get out. So therefore, Joseph was very much a human being. He had little feelings and and he didn't want to be in this situation. Even though he appropriately responded to God in this situation, he preferred not to be in that situation. So, he thinks that the cupbearer is going to help him out. He's going to tell Pharaoh about his problem. Well, we look at the next passage. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all his officials. So, the third day after the dreams, he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of officials. He brought them up front. And he was going to make an announcement. Many times he would give amnesty to individuals on his birthday. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hands, just like Joseph said. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to him in his interpretation. So Joseph was spot on. He nailed it. He interpreted the dreams correctly. So Joseph is in the dungeon and... The cupbearer is now back in relationship with Pharaoh, and Joseph is thinking, okay, all right, any day now, any day now, they're going to come and get me and release me from prison because my friend the cupbearer, and I believe they were friends, just the nature of the passage and who Joseph was, I was so kind to him, and now he's going to show kindness to me. He's going to tell Pharaoh, hey, this guy doesn't belong in prison. He's unjustly accused, sold into slavery. And he was just waiting day after day after day, Week went by, month went by, three months went by, and hey, what's going on here? Why hasn't he come and saved me yet? In fact, the Bible tells us it was two years before finally the cupbearer said something. 
Well, that'd be easy to lose hope, right? When do you think Joseph lost hope that the cupbearer was going to say something? After a month, four months, thinking, hey, either he said something and Pharaoh said no or he forgot about me. What do we see in the text? The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He forgot him. Here Joseph had helped him out, been kind to him, had served him, and he forgot about him. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people here today feel forgotten. They're in a prison. What's a prison? Well, a prison is anything that restricts you from what you would say is normal life, what you would like normal life to be. What is your prison? You feel forgotten about in that prison. You feel God's forgotten about you. Other people have forgotten about you. Maybe it's a financial prison. Those are really common these days with our economy. Talking to a guy last night, he lost his job. Finally got another job, lost that job after two months, and you could just see the pain in his face. He's in a financial prison, or maybe it's a relational prison. You're in a marriage. Things are not as you had expected. Your spouse is not on the same page in relationship to your love for God. Your spouse is not kind to you. Spouse is abusive. Your spouse uh, just is not loving you. It feels like it's dead. That is a prison, a relational prison, or maybe it's an emotional prison. Uh, you're struggling with depression. You're struggling with anxiety. There's a level of confusion in your life, and and it's so difficult to deal with day to day to day. That's that's a prison. Maybe it's a physical prison. Maybe it's an illness in your life. And it restricts you greatly. Maybe it's a handicap. Maybe it's an injury. It's a prison. And just like Joseph, I want out of this prison. <laughs> it's okay to say, I want out of this prison. But at the same time, we need to realize that God works through prisons. God changes lives through prisons. God does his best work in prisons. We hate to hear that, but it really is the truth. God changes people in prisons. So let's talk about what we need to do when we're in a prison. Well, the critical thing we need to do is we need to place our hope in the right place, and that is in God. We need to have our hope in God. Now, Joseph did. It's interesting as we study Joseph's life, it's so clear he had his hope in God. I mean, here he was taken down to Egypt. He didn't know what his life was going to be like. Who else could he hope in but God? And when things were really low, as we're talking about now, his hope was in God. And when he hit the pinnacle of success, the second most powerful man in the world, his hope was in God. The beautiful illustration of how to live life. Whether things are good or bad, your hope is always in God, that God is going to come through and provide for you. So how do we hope in God? Well, again, we hope in God's presence. Psalm 62 is such a beautiful psalm when you're in a prison. I really want to encourage you to go home and memorize it and uh, meditate upon it and uh, let it soak into your spirit. Uh, psalm 62, 5, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. Find rest, O my soul. What's your soul like this morning? Is your soul stressed out? Is your soul burdened? Is your soul heavy? God wants to bring rest to your soul. In Him alone, 
That's where we find our hope. My hope comes from Him. Where does your hope come from? I know so many times in my life, I place my hope in the wrong things. That's easy to do. I think about my beautiful wife down here, Lori. I put a lot of hope in her, more hope than I should. I think of my kids. I put my hope in them. Uh, I put my hope in finances. I put my hope in my job. I put my hope in my health. And we always say, well, at least I have my health. Well, what happens when you lose your health? <laughs> you, know? you can't put your hope in anything, really, except God. Because if you put your hope in your spouse, they're going to disappoint you. Uh, they're not going to meet your expectations, which many times are unrealistic. Uh, same thing with your kids, your health, your job, your finances. Any of those things can just change in a moment. But God never changes, right? That's where our hope needs to be. Now, we can enjoy our relationship uh, with people, enjoy the things we have that God gives us, but we always need to keep it in proper perspective. Those things meet our needs. God uses them to meet our needs. But our ultimate hope for life is found in God. And hope is such a critical part of life. Without hope, people die. If you have no more hope, that's when many people commit suicide, right? There's no more hope. In fact, they did a study of Japanese uh, POWs, people who were in POWs over in Japan. And they went through some real uh, brutalities in World War II. Very, very difficult. And they studied uh, these individuals, and they said, who coped the best and why? Who, who came through with a very, very strong spirit and is doing well in life now? And this is what they came up with. Dr. Harold Wolf, Cornell University, said, When a man has hope, he is capable of incredible burdens and cruel punishments. He can handle almost anything when he's got hope. So, friends, this is what we need to understand and grow in, is that if we put our entire hope in God, no matter what we go through, no matter how our finances are, are, are a problem for us, no matter what illness comes into our life, no matter how bad things go, our hope is in God. And that hope can get us through anything. God can get us through anything. We look again at Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. It says, My soul finds rest in God alone. I receive the same statement. My salvation comes from Him. My deliverance comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. That's kind of hope you can have in God. A fortress, back in that day, a fortress was a fortified city. It was a, very, it was a wild west back in that day. Uh, if you wanted to be protected... Uh, from all types of uh, bad people, you need to have a fortified city. You need to have walls. You had to have guards on the towers and things of that nature. Uh, like uh, Jericho, we think of the walls of Jericho. That was a fortified city. And in the midst of a fortified city, you're safe. And when your life is in God and your hope is in Him, you are safe. doesn't mean you're not going to experience pain and go through very difficult times, but ultimately... You're safe. God is your refuge. God 
is your rock. God is your rock. Many times in Scripture, God is called a rock. God is called a mountain that you hang on to. Look at this particular mountain. Our family had a chance to go out to Colorado last year. And one of the benefits of living in the Midwest, you're always amazed by mountains. <laughs> right? Like, wow, cool, you know, you're driving, oh, wow, you know. People out there are like, whatever. <laughs> so that's one of the benefits of living in the Midwest, okay? Uh, but whenever you see a mountain, after you haven't seen one for like three years, you go like, unbelievable, majestic, unmovable, unshaken, and that is God right there. He is a mountain. We need to remember that. He is our hope. He is our rock. So I said, what can I do to encourage you to remember that God is a rock? Well, I came up with a flat marble. <laughs> okay? You got a flat marble on you, or a decorative stone, as they call it, at uh, Joanne's Fabrics. But uh, it's a flat marble. Okay? So my challenge for you is to put this flat marble uh, in your pocket or in your purse this week, somewhere where you're going to handle it. Uh, once in a while, and every time your finger touches it and you're on to put it in your shoe, then you'll think about it a lot. Um, yeah, but again, remember that God is your hope. That's the only thing that's secure, that you can trust in in life, is God your rock. So please use this this week and talk about it uh, with your kids and turn to Psalm 62 and talk about the fact that our hope is in God alone. That's the only thing we can truly hope in. In fact, when Germany was liberated after World War II, they found this saying uh, written on a wall, and it's been reproduced in many different ways. It says, I believe in the sun when it is not shining. Now, again, this is during the Nazi era. I believe in love when I don't feel it. And I believe in God when He is silent. Is God silent in your life right now? You're in a prison, a restricted area you'd rather not be in. And you can't hear God. You don't feel God. You feel forgotten by God. That's understandable. We're emotional people, emotional beings. And it's so important for us to realize not to be led, that we shouldn't be led by our emotions. Because that's going to take you in wrong and uh, dangerous places if you're led by your emotions. You need to be led by the truth in this book. You might not feel that God is there. You might not hear God. You might not see any sign of God's involvement in your life. But He is there. He loves you. He cares about you. It doesn't really matter how you feel. I know you'd like the feelings. We all would. But God is there. You just have to continue to pray to God and seek Him out. And eventually, over time, you're going to see Him and you're going to listen to Him and you're going to sense that He's there with you. But it is difficult. It's incredibly painful to be in a prison and you don't feel that God is there. But God's presence is always with you. You need to remember that. His presence is always with you, and His power is always with you. Let's take a look again at Psalm 62, this time verse 7 and 8. My salvation and my honor depend on God. I'm totally dependent on God. My deliverance 
and my honor, how I live my life, is dependent on God. He is my mighty rock. There we see it again. He is my mighty rock, my refuge, my place of safety. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. What a powerful psalm, huh? God is our refuge. He's our hope. He's our rock. And what you need to do in order to access God's power is you need to pour your heart out to Him. You need to let God know what you're going through. You can pray to Him out loud. You can pray to Him silently. You can talk to another Christ follower and, and tell Him how you're feeling. Those are all ways you can communicate with God. One thing I really encourage is journaling. I do this quite a bit. Usually once a week I'll sit down and I'll kind of review my week and when I'm, especially when I'm confused or in pain or down, you know, I'll just tell God everything I'm feeling. I'm angry at Him, I'll tell Him that. <laughs> I'm disappointed in Him. He knows what I'm feeling, I might as well tell Him anyway, right? Uh, it's a very healthy thing to do, it's very therapeutic. I mean, really, who, who in the world can you tell everything to? Everything, every thought that passes through your mind, only God. And He's listening, isn't that, I mean, really? What a wonderful way to work through issues in your life. And not only can he listen, but he can help you. So you need to pour out your heart. When, when was the last time you prayed about that prison? Oh, I'm done about praying about this stupid prison I'm in. Well, no. You see, you need to process through the prison. That's what God allows you to do. God doesn't airlift you out of prisons. I would love that. God, airlift me out. Take me up. Okay, I'm tired of this. Take me out of this problem. Take me out of this relationship. Take me out of this illness. Typically, God doesn't do that. What he does is he gives you the strength to cope. He gives you the strength to learn and grow through that very painful situation. Because, you see, God does his best work in prisons. We hate to hear that, don't we? Oh, God, couldn't you do it a different way? <laughs> when we're flat on our back, that's many times the only time when we look up to God. So God does his best work in in prison, so you're thinking, I want out of this prison, but think about the fact that when you're in that prison, that's when God can really work on you. That's when God can really make you more like Jesus. That's when God can help you to understand the only way you can live the Christian life is through the power of Jesus Christ, not on your own, but giving your life over to him and saying, Lord, supernaturally work through me. Fill me uh, with uh, the power of Christ. So that's what you need to realize in a prison. And I, I know this is very difficult, guys. I know some of you just are at your wit's end, the end of the rope. And I, it, so many times I feel so, uh, um, I feel uh, inept in terms of being able to encourage you. <laughs> I know these are generalities, hope in God and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I know that the Holy Spirit uses his word. And even though I can't effectively communicate what this means for your own situation, that if I preach God's Word, that God is going to use it if you're open to it. And He's going to help you in your unique, hopeless situation and give you the hope you need. As I think about some of you and what you're going through, and I, I don't know what to say to you. I don't, other than just obviously teach you God's Word and let the Holy Spirit... You understand what I'm saying? You know, I, I don't. I wish I, I wish I could encourage you. Some, I talk with people sometimes, and 
I don't know what to say. But I know that, the, that God knows what to say. I know the Holy Spirit knows what to say. So my point is, is all I do is I just do my best for the power of God to get up here and tell you what Scripture says. And I trust in the Holy Spirit that He's going to work in your life and He's going to give you exactly what you need. That's the confidence I have in my frustration <laughs> to try to help you more. Um, so, so pour out your heart to God. A great acronym for hope is hold on praying expectantly. You hold on, you don't understand anything, but you pray expectantly. And even when you form the prison, it's a man-made prison, it's because of your sin that you're in a prison, God still listens, He still loves, He still guides. Remember Jonah? He was rebellious and God had... <laughs> I mean, uh, and none of us, this hasn't happened to any of us, but he was swallowed by a fish. He was so rebellious. God had to get his, get his attention. And he still wouldn't give up. He was still rebellious in the midst of the fish until he was finally dying. That's, that's the point when he turned to God. Look at uh, Jonah 2.7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. He was dying. Okay, I'll turn to you, God. (laughs) Okay, sometimes it takes that. This is a warning to you guys. If you don't turn to God, He's going to create situations in your life where you have no other choice. Right? So now's the time to repent. Now's the time to say, okay, God's put the heat on in my life because I'm rebellious and I need to turn my life around. And the, the beautiful thing about it is that God is going to forgive you. God is going to restore you. God is going to help you rebuild your life. He's a tremendous God, isn't he? Tremendous love for us. Tremendous grace that he wants to deliver to us. Psalm 62, 11 and 12. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard. That you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. So first he pours his heart out to God, but then he listens. So he talks to God, and then he listens. I know in my own life, I can do a lot of talking, but I'm not very good at listening. We're all going 100 miles an hour. We're trying to control our lives. We're trying to use every minute to make our lives better and to manage all our problems. And really, we just need to stop and listen to God. We need to get alone, (laughs) away from the kids, wherever you can do that. And just spend time with God listening to Him, reading His Word, and then listening to what He has to say to you about the prison that you're in. And this situation, which is true of all of us, this is truth, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. He's a strong lover. It's not enough just to be strong. Just like, okay, I want to buy some strength. No, God gives you strength out of His love for you. He gives you strength to cope every day. I think of my friend Tim Beavis as a picture of he and his family. He lives up in McHenry, Illinois. He's a pastor like myself. He's a wonderful, godly man. And about a year and a half ago, he got a pain in his abdomen. And it was a very specific spot. He could draw, draw an X on it. And he constantly has pain right there or wherever it might be. He has pain. And sometimes it's minimal. But a lot of the time, it's very difficult. At some point... At some points, it's excruciating, uh, where he has to go home and take a strong medication that knocks the pain out, but knocks him out 
as well for the day. So every day he gets up and he has to say, okay, how much can I get done before the pain becomes too much? And some days are okay, and other days he has to go home. And he's gone to all types of specialists, and he's had three exploratory surgeries, and they just can't find what the solution is, what the problem is, and the solution. I would encourage you to pray for Tim that they would be able to. But right now, he's in the pain. And the more active he is, the more it hurts. He has to sit down to preach. He's preaching this morning, and he's sitting down. He can't even hold his 13-month-old son for a period of time. He tries, but then he has to hand him off because it causes too much pain. He can't play with his kids. Many times they have to use a wheelchair when they're out on family events. Well, that's a prison, friend. And I, I was talking to Tim last, this past week about it. I said, Tim, how do you cope with that? He said, well, Dan, I was reflecting on this this past New Year's Eve. And I looked at this past year. He's had it for a year and a half. And he said, God gave me 365 days of strength. Every day he gave me new coping ability. And that's the way it is, right? A lot of you live right here. Every day you wake up and you say, how am I going to get through today? How am I going to deal with all my responsibilities and all the pressures? Well, friends, God has a survival package for you. And he delivers it once a day to you and throughout the day. Uh, but it's for that day to get you through that. And I was just so amazed at uh, Tim's attitude. It really inspired me personally. It reminded me of one of my favorite passage, passages in Lamentations. Because of the Lord's love, a great love, we are not consumed. And nothing will consume you like a prison. Nothing will consume you like daily pain. But we aren't consumed because of the Lord's great love. For His compassions never fail. His grace never fails. His strength never fails. His love never fails. His presence never fails. His power never fails. His plans for you, they never fail. They are new every morning. That's that survival package. Every morning God has new strength to deal with the same prison that He dealt with today. Great is your faithfulness every day. Many times for years we think about Joseph and scholars estimate he was there in prison for 10 to 17 years. 10 to 17 years. And he didn't know his story. What's Joseph's problem? Does he know he's going to be Second in command in Egypt? No, he doesn't know that. He thinks he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Right? Joseph was real. He was like us. I love verse 24. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. He's my provider. He's my strength. Therefore, I will wait for him. It's hard to wait, isn't it? We need to wait for God in the prison. God does His best work in prisons. And He's not done with you yet. And sometimes prisons last until you're dead. Sometimes you don't even know why you had to go through a prison until you get to heaven. But you've got to trust in God. You've got to trust in God that He has a plan for you. And that's the last thing I want to touch on. That God has a plan for your life. Hope in His plans. That all this is not purposeless. What he's doing in the prison is, number one, he's making you more like Jesus Christ. 
He's filling you with the power of Christ. You're living life through Jesus. And then, on top of that, he's doing, you're doing good works for him. And you're glorifying God. In fact, when I talked with Tim about this and asked if I could share about his experience, I said, I'd love you to do that. Because again, I want, I want my life to be used for God's glory. And if I can be an encouragement to other people by them hearing about my suffering and how God is providing for me, well, again, that's to God's glory. Maybe that's the only reason for your pain is that other people look at you and see how you're putting your hope in God in the midst of a very difficult situation, and that glorifies God and leads him closer to Jesus. Say, well, I don't like that plan. <laughs> well, it's maybe God's plan for your life. I don't know. Those are the hard questions. That's where we just need to trust God and put our hope in them. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Might not be the plan of the life that you thought you'd have, but he wants to bless you in life. God had a plan for Joseph, and we're going to explore that over the next two weeks as we conclude this series. But I just want you to uh, trust in God, put your hope in God. I'm going to have Jeff Silverfine come up at this time. And he's going to tell us about a life challenge uh, that he's been going through. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'll share with you my quote-unquote prison here this morning that I've been dealing with for a little over five years now. Um, I've been diagnosed with, as I said, a little over five years ago with an inoperable brain tumor. At that time, the doctors were extremely negative they didn't give me much hope. And they started saying things like, well, we expect this thing to grow. It's only going to get worse. Um, it's just going to be a matter of time that you're not going to be able to speak, use your right arm, and most likely just not even be here any longer. I'll never forget the day my wife, Michelle, and I drove home from the hospital. And uh, as you can imagine, we were just uh, besides ourselves. We had feelings of hopelessness, fear, anxiety, worry, uh, depression. As you can imagine, we were just uh, devastated. Well, after we regrouped, got our thoughts together, prayed together, we really felt God leading us to do, first and foremost, getting a different doctor that was more positive to begin with and uh, to deal with our situation a different way. And we felt a strong piece to deal with it in a more conservative approach and a non-invasive approach. Michelle made a good point that day. She said, you know, we can change the situation we're in, but we can change our attitude. We can control, I should say, our attitude and think of things in a different way. We can't control that. And she was right. So from that point forward, even to this very moment, uh, I just look at things in a different perspective, different attitude. Now, mind you, over the course of the past five years, that always hasn't been a great, easy road. We've had moments 
even to this day where there's been emotional trials, relational trials, and even physical setbacks, even as early as this past December of New Year's Eve, we found out, even though it was slight, thank God, as it was showed a little bit on the last evaluation, a little bit of an increase in the tumor. So we were faced again with some of those negative uh, words, but we nipped in the butt right away and continued to have an attitude of focusing on the Lord and not looking at our circumstance and situation. What does he want me to do on this health journey with this prison that I've been facing? In closing, I want to share with you a few things that I feel have helped me tremendously through the course of the five years, and I plan to continue to the day God takes me to heaven. And that is, first and foremost, prayer. It's so important to not underestimate the value of prayer. I had to learn over the years to make sure when I pray, not to worry when I pray, and second and foremost, to believe what I pray for. There's power behind that. Second thing is to every morning spend time with the Lord in His Word through devotional time, Bible study, and even for myself, scriptures that deal with healing. I encourage all of you, whatever your prison is today, to surround yourself with scriptures that talk about that particular prison in your life. Third thing, surround myself with positive people. It's so easy to get caught up in the trap if you have people around you that are just bringing you down. Be around positive people, and therefore not only you can get from them, but then you have an opportunity to give back to them as well. I believe wholeheartedly if I was in a negative state of mind and bought into what they told me five years ago, I would not be here today and enjoying the blessings that God has given me each and every day. Lastly, serve. Get out of your own way. I remember the Lord saying many years ago, Jeff, deal with your situation, but don't be absorbed in it. Be more selfless, not selfish. Seek ways you could serve other people and get out of your own way, and that's powerful as well. So I encourage all of you that I hope from the things that I share with you this morning, my personal journey, my personal testimony, that whatever prison you're facing today, that this particular story has brought um, encouragement and hope to your lives dealing with your prison that you're facing right now or may face down the road. I want to thank all of you for listening and have a blessed day. Thank you so much, Jeff, for sharing uh, your story. You bring glory to God by doing that, talking about real challenging times that you and Michelle and the family have been through and how God has provided uh, for you and the counsel, what you've learned in the midst of your prison there. And uh, I can testify to the fact that uh, Jeff really lives this stuff out. Jeff is a good friend of mine, and uh, he has been an inspiration uh, to me. Things haven't been easy. Things haven't been perfect, you know. But uh, talk about living in a prison and uh, God working in such a wonderful way in their family's life. So uh, take out your welcome slip at this time. Share that off if you haven't torn it off and put your name down. Uh, and here are some next steps. 
uh, we would like you uh, to take again, if you feel led. Uh, first of all, I will reflect on Psalm 62. These are, these are just kind of ways to say, okay, what am I going to do this week uh, to carry the message that we've talked about and apply it to my life? So just circle A. If you say, okay, I'm going to reflect on Psalm 62. Wonderful Psalm. Uh, B, I will carry my rock symbol of God's hope. So you take your flat marble here and uh, you carry it around and you say, okay, that's something I'm going to do. And every time I feel this thing, I'm going to remember God is my hope. Uh, See, I will invite a friend uh, to Good Friday or Easter services by praying and thinking about that. It's a great opportunity, another one of those key weekends when people will more likely come out to church and they might be willing to try something different than maybe uh, the church that they usually go Christmas and Easter (laughs) uh, to. Uh, D, I will distribute turtle cards. All right? I got a lot of turtle cards out there. And the Holy Spirit wants to use those things, but he only can use them if they're in people's hands. And your hands are the hands that we need to be used to get them into other people's hands. So I encourage you to pick up a bundle on your way out. So circle one of those letters. It's just a way of saying, hey, this is something I want to do. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much uh, for this uh, wonderful time of worship we've had today, lifting up your name, seeing life from your viewpoint. And I pray for my friends out there who are hurting. Uh, my friends who are just kind of thinking about this message and trying to process through it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to work these truths into their life this week and they would see their situation from a different perspective, Uh, that they wouldn't be focusing on the circumstances but focusing on you and your hope in the midst of the circumstances. In Christ's name, amen. I'll think of our ushers come forward.